Bibles tonight to Second Samuel chapter eleven. Second Samuel chapter eleven. I want to speak to you tonight about the perilous path to sin. And I want you to notice I said path, not step or not slip. So many times we think, you know, something happens and it just kaboom, it happened. And, you know, that there was nothing that led up to it. And uh, the truth of the matter is, and like I've often said about backsliding, it's like a more like a slow leak instead of a blowout. There's always something that leads up to the disaster. And uh, we have a picture of that here tonight. And before we read the story, and uh, naturally it's a very familiar story of David. And uh, you know those, those stories that, that we're so familiar with, those that are repeated over and over whether it's Daniel or Joseph or David or whatever it is, and whether it's being victorious in battle or suffering a defeat of some kind. But those stories are popular for a reason. Kind of like the old preacher said, you know, if the path leading to the well is well-worn, it means the water is good. And that's kind of the way it is with certain passages in the Bible, and that's true here. But I was just thinking uh, as I was sitting there about uh, about those that have that have fallen. Uh, there was another report last week, and, and I'm not going into any detail about it. This is uh, one of those mega churches and what have you. But another one has fallen, by the way, and uh, it 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 happens at a shocking rate, and even. While I was away during the conference, I naturally was reminded of a lot of men that I've known over the years. And uh, and as I sat there during the conference thinking about some of those men, and, and I, I couldn't help it, but the failure of some of them came to my mind. And uh, Bev can tell you, I was just talking the other day, and for, I, I told her for some reason I just I can't get this story of David off of my heart, and so I think that's a good indication I, that I ought to talk about it. But I was thinking a moment ago about Peter, and you'll remember that Peter. Here's a man that loved the Lord. Here's a man that that had forsaken all to follow the Lord. I, you know, we don't really know a lot of people nowadays that can honestly say that. I have forsaken all to follow you. And 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 then Peter made the boast. He said, you know, of course, even if everybody else forsakes you, I'm not going to forsake you. And, and he said, I have left all to follow you. And, and in fact, I'm willing to die for you. And, and, and of course, the Lord straightened it out. He said, Peter... <laughs> He said, you're going to deny me three times. You know, that tells me that there was self-ignorance on the part of Peter. He didn't know himself as well as he thought he did. And by the way, none of us do. We really don't. And secondly, it reminds me that there was an unknown weakness in his life. 
that he was not aware of. Uh, he, in all sincerity, he intended to follow the Lord even if it meant to death. And whenever we look at this and the other examples in the Bible, it becomes very apparent. And if you don't believe it, just read Romans chapter number 7, but it's very apparent that the seeds of every sin are latent in our hearts. It's there. In other words, the possibility, even though you're a Christian, I'm not saying you'll live habitually under the power of some sin, but I'm saying there's the possibility that that latent seed in your heart is going to spring up and bring forth a terrible harvest in your life. Uh, I have to conclude the strongest Christians then are those who feel the weakest. Unlike Peter who thought he was strong enough he'd never deny the Lord, but he did. The strongest Christians are those who sense their weakness the most. That's why, you know, I think of Paul when he said, I'm the chief of sinners. Hey, I'm as bad as it gets. And he really believed that. And I think that's why he had the strength that he did. Well, when we come to the story of David, uh, we find here a warning. And uh, it tells us that good people sometimes fall. David's example of that, remember David was a man described as a man after God's own heart. And you remember after he had killed Goliath and what a remarkable feat that was. And yet the Bible says that he behaved himself wisely. Now, he wasn't strutting around town bragging about all of the things that he had done, but he behaved himself wisely. He loved the Lord. I mean, he is a man that, you know, that, well, you just wouldn't suspect that a man like this would do something as horrible as it was. And we, we all know about his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And then there was the awful attempt to cover it up and uh, ultimately the death of her husband. And so uh, this is a warning to us because if it could happen to Peter, if it could happen to David, it could happen to us. And Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, take heed, you know, if you think that you can't fall, he reminds us, take heed lest thou fall also. It could happen to us. So let's just take a few minutes and consider the steps here that that led to this downfall, the path to his sin. Verse number 1, And it came to pass after the year was expired at that time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabda. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass... In an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with 
child. What a horrible, terrible story this is. And we need to consider what led to it. I think the first obvious thing here, at least, is his casualness. It was a time of the year when kings went out to war. I mean, David was a king. David, by the way, was a warrior. David was a great and a mighty man. But for some reason, David now reasons that he is justified in staying behind. So he sends Joab out with the troops. And so they're out there doing battle. And David is, well, he's lounging in bed. Now, you know, it might be that he thought to himself, I have done my part. I've earned the right to relax, you know, let the rest of them get out here and fight the battle. I, I You know, I'm just going to kick back and uh, just run things from here. And uh, I, I think that was his first big mistake right there. Because we should never suppose that we are finished with our work. And so many times, and I understand that we sometimes are disabled to the point that we can't do what we want to do and we can't do what we used to do, but there's always something that we can do. And we don't ever want to get to the point that we just become totally idle in regards to the Lord's work because as long as we're here, there is something that we can do to serve the Lord. And if we're not serving the Lord, there's no reason for us to be here. And so if there's no reason to be here, the Lord might as well take us to heaven because it's, what, far better there, amen? But we would all agree, and the Bible tells us, to die is to gain, to be far better, Paul said, you know, just to go on and be with the Lord. But he said, it's more needful that, that I remain here. You know, we'll get all of the rest we need when we get to heaven. Even though we're serving the Lord there, it'll be of such a nature that that we will be at rest with that. So as long as we're here on this earth, we have a job to do. And I'm I'm so thankful that that Jason just jumped on that opportunity. And and by the way, that's not something that's you know easy. It's something that sometimes is inconvenient. You know, we drag all of the tables and the chairs out and and. and uh, it's it's easy just to walk off and think, oh, well, somebody will put them up. And uh, thank God for somebody that's willing to do that. And, and we, we could mention every ministry in the church. Uh, and, and I don't want any member to ever feel like, well, you know, uh, yeah, I'm a member there, but I, I'm, I'm really not important. Nothing depends on me. You are just as important as you want to be. There's always something that, you can do. You know, so many times people say, you know what we need? And you always know what's coming next. I mean, not precisely, but you know they're going to make a suggestion. What the church needs, we need somebody to, you know, to do this or to do that. And Bev's got a pretty good method that she uses whenever that happens because you hear it so many times over the years. And that is, that's a great idea. Why don't you do that? And, and you know that, that, hey, that, that, that's right. So many times people think, well, we need somebody to do this or that. But what they really mean is somebody else needs to do it. That's the attitude David had. Somebody else can do it. I'm going to stay here. So I think this is step one down this path to sin. 
But then notice there is carelessness. He didn't keep his guard up, and he failed. You'll remember where Joseph had succeeded because Joseph was prepared to resist temptation. That's a great story when you think about Joseph and the situation he was in, the way that he had been mistreated, he had been deprived of the blessing of his home, and all of those things that 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 were working against him, how unfair it is. And uh, then to top it all off, uh, he's accused of rape. He's accused of rape, why? Because he would not submit to the temptation that was presented there. You know, that one factor in Joseph's life proves what a what a strong and a good man that he was. He resisted the temptation, and David, I want you to notice that David failed miserably. Well, Jesus warned us, did he not? In fact, very in very strong words, and he speaks about the fact, you know, that uh, even to look on a woman with the lust in your heart, he says you've committed adultery already in your heart. And whenever you look at this, and you'll notice it says here that he saw, verse number 2, he saw a woman. But, but wait a minute, it doesn't stop there. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. You can't walk through life with blinders. You cannot fail sometimes to see things that that you'd be better off not seeing. But there's something you can do about it after you see it. You don't have to just keep looking at it, you see. And, and that's what's going on here. He saw her. And and she was a beauty, and he couldn't take his eyes off of her. He, he just standing there... Uh, craning his neck and staring at her. And so this is just pure carelessness on his part. And then there was compulsiveness on his part. And notice the progression of sin. I've mentioned some of it already. Verse 2, and I've underlined these words in my Bible. Notice he saw. He saw. Now verse number 2, verse 3 rather, and David sent and inquired after the woman, why? Well, you know why, don't you? Because David was thinking, you know, maybe this can go, maybe this can go further than just looking up on her. So he inquires, who is that woman? And he's gathering information. And then notice verse number four, and David sent messengers and took her and took her. It, it, it seems at this point that David can't control himself. Do you know that's what happens when you toy with sin? You you, you take a young couple, of, uh, you know, you can call it sparking as the old timers might have or making out or whatever. They're sitting in a parked car and, you know, it just starts out holding hands and then there's a hug and then there's a kiss. I'm telling you, young people, if you're not careful, you reach a point of no return where there's no stopping and you lose control. You think you've got it under control. You think, all right, I can cut it off right here anytime that I want to, but you're just kidding 
forgetting yourself, when you push it to the limit and you toy with sin, it's just a matter of time until you find yourself right smack dab in the middle of it. And this is what's going on. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, boy, yeah, I wish these young people would listen. They really need to pay attention to the preacher. That'd keep them out of a lot of trouble and so on and so forth. But now, wait a minute. We're talking about sin. We're, we're not talking about this particular sin. This, this is a bad, horrible, terrible sin, as, as you'll see. But this is true of any sin. It makes no difference what the sin is. When you toy with sin, it's just a matter of time until you are embracing that sin. And we need to be on our guard against every form of sin. Some way or another, we've got it in our mind. As long as I don't get drunk, as long as I don't rob a bank, as long as I don't run off somebody's wife, as long as I don't do any of those really, really terrible, horrible things, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, those other sins are not, not so bad. Well, in your estimation, they're not so bad. But in God's sight, They're horrible and terrible and they're vile and they're filthy and they're going to cost you more than you want to pay. That's the way sin is. Takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay and it costs you more than you want to pay. It's a expensive thing. So here we see the compulsiveness of David as, as this progression continues. Well, now, verse 5, she conceived and she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Boy, you know, at this point, David's got to know, wow, I'm in trouble now. What in the world am I going to do? And now we begin to see the callousness of David because he devises three schemes in order to cover up his sin And the first thing he does is to, uh, verse number 6, David sent to Joab. Remember, he's the man in charge of the troops out there in the field. Send me Uriah the Hittite. Bring him home. I'll let him come home. He'll be glad to see his wife. He'll go in unto his wife, and uh, then he'll think the child is his. Boy, uh, let me tell you, this Uriah was some kind of a good guy. Because he didn't do that. He slept at the, at the door of the king's house with all of the servants of the Lord. You see, there are battles still raging out there, things to do. And instead of him, I'm certain the place he would rather be than anywhere else was in the arms of his wife. And he intentionally deprived himself of that privilege and that joy in order to sleep there on the floor at the door of the... He's guarding the door of the dude that just knocked up his wife. This is crazy, folks. So that didn't work, and so, pardon the crude language I used then, but nobody will misunderstand it. So So David comes up with a different scheme. David said to Uriah, verse 12, "Tarry, tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. And so Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and tomorrow, 
And uh, when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. Made him drunk. Now he's thinking, if I can get him good and drunk, he'll he'll go ahead and stagger home now for sure. But he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. Again, this man is sleeping there with the servants rather than going to his house and sleeping with his wife. So the second part of David's plan has failed. What to do now? Nothing is working. By the way, whenever you're trying to cover up your sin, let me tell you, there's not anything that's going to work. But the wheels are still turning. David is still looking for a way out, and the only thing he can think of is, I've got to just get rid of this guy. Oh, this guy is to me a national hero. This guy is a treasure. How can you, how can you do that? So he writes a letter to Joab. And in the letter he says, I want you to put Uriah, the Hittite, put him right up in the heat of the battle against the most fierce enemies and what have you. When you get him up there, just withdraw, let him get shot. Let the enemy kill him. And you know what he does with that letter that he's sending to Joab? He puts it in Uriah's hand and says, here, would you take this letter to Joab? This man is carrying the death sentence in his hand. And to prove that he's an honorable man, he doesn't read it. It's the king's business. He wouldn't dare look in in, in this uh, classified uh, information. He wouldn't dare do that. But suppose he had. Wow. Suppose he had just, you know, got to thinking, well, I wonder, I wonder what the king's wanting to talk to Joab about, and I, I'll just take a peek. <laughs> wow. Wow. Amazing how calloused a person can be when their heart is hardened by sin. When we start making an effort to cover up our sin, you see, an unconfessed sin always leads to other sins. It's kind of like a liar, you know. When you tell a lie, you're going to have to tell another lie, you know, to cover yourself in the first lie that you made. And after a while, you forget the lies you told and you trip yourself up. But people get so calloused and we we see people like that and we wonder to ourselves how in the world can someone be you know be so callous and so hard and so so cruel to other people but you know there's another verse here that has bothered me and notice in verse 25 i think it is david said unto the messenger thus shall thou say unto joab now listen carefully to this. He's sending the letter to Joab to have Uriah killed. And here's what he says to Joab. Let not this thing displease thee. Now get this. For the sword devoureth one as well as another. 
I hope you're not, Joab, I hope this doesn't disappoint you. I don't want you to think I'm a bad guy. But oh, by, by the way, if you get too bent out of shape and spill the beans, I'll kill you too. That, that's what he's saying here. Verse 27, and when the morning was past, David, this is after Uriah's been killed. David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. Now, notice this. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, did you notice that he was so concerned about displeasing Joab? He said, I I hope this doesn't displease you. But he has no concern about his actions being displeasing to the Lord. Boy, that just perfectly describes a lot of people, you know. They, 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 they don't want their peer group to get upset. They don't want others to be disappointed in them. But they really, evidently, based on their actions, don't care that much whether God's displeased or not. When you see something like this, it says that the Lord was displeased let, let me tell you, you're in trouble. And, and, and by the way, there are a lot of things that displease God other than, uh, other than adultery. Every sin is displeasing to God, which makes every sin, what? Dangerous. And we see this as we consider the consequences in chapter number 12, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here or anything, but you know the story, no doubt. But I want you to understand that the consequences of David's sin followed him for the rest of his life. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. So here comes the old prophet Nathan. And uh, Nathan tells a story. He said there were two men in one city. The one was rich and the other poor. And the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it, it grew up together with him and with his children. And it did, boy, he's, he's really buttering him up, right? I, I mean, th- this is one of those heart-tugging moments, this little lamb and the man, he bought it and he nourished it and it played with his kids and, and, and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Well, and there came a traveler unto the rich man and uh, he spared... And he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was coming to him. And David's anger was kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Wow! Kill him! Uh, kill him for taking and killing a lamb? uh, Seriously? I mean, that's pretty stiff punishment. You know, I'm a a pet lover. I love, well, no, I'm not really. I'm a 
dog lover. I, Bill Bev and I talk about this all the time. You see those, uh, and especially where Sarah McLaughlin, I, I think, was that what she sang on one of them? But anyway, we got these pictures, all of these these pets, and they're so sad. Isn't it amazing the expression you see in the face of animals like that even? But, boy, I'm getting off track now. <laughs> but if you'll send only $18 a month, you know, and you think, hey, but that's not very much, and those poor dogs and cats and things all, all out here dying, and then all of a sudden reality sets in. Wait a minute, there are children dying in the world. Now, uh, I won't say that, but uh, because I don't want any kids, uh, <laughs> I don't want any kids thinking that what I what my daddy told me to do with cats is okay. So I I won't say that. Well, I'm in trouble now. I probably got a bunch of cat lovers in here. Uh, look, I'm try- I'm really trying to make a point. Believe it or not. We're talking about a lamb. Now, I know, you know, in old Texas, boy, you steal a horse and they're going to lynch you up to the highest tree, right? Uh, Hang hang you to the highest tree. You stole the horse. We're talking about a lamb. And David is, is enraged by this. He says, surely that man is going to die. This is the decree of a king. He has the authority to put this man to to death. And Nathan, uh, as so many preachers have said, pointed that long bony finger at him and said, David, thou art the man. What a, wow, what a, what a shock that must have been. It's like, you know, I'm found out. Wow. What a, what a moment. Thou art the man. Verse 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Now look at verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. You know, let me tell you, I don't, I don't understand all about what I'm about to say. Our sin always affects somebody else. Even though if if we could keep it covered up and nobody else found out about it, still in some mysterious way it affects others. In fact, the Bible tells us that our sins shall be visited to the fourth and fifth generation. Uh, Again, I, I don't understand exactly how that works. But I know that it's true that when we sin against God, we end up troubling those that we love the most. We end up hurting our own family. And you look at the historical record of David and Israel and, and the war that raged as, as a result of this. Verse 13. 
And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Oh, wow. Finally. He's confessed. Now we've got it all behind us. Everything's good to go now. He made a confession. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Verse 15, The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And you read on the seventh day, verse 18, the child died. You see, David, as by confessing his sin, received forgiveness. And as a child of God, regardless of what I do, I'm so thankful that I have the assurance of forgiveness because all of my sins, past, present, and future, are all under the blood of Jesus Christ. But when I sin against God, I can do some things that I cannot undo. I can get forgiveness, but I cannot undo the damage that I have done. If you only knew all of the men that I talked to there in the rescue mission years ago, who because of, because of liquor, they had ruined their lives, lost their vocation, destroyed their family, and now they've made a profession of faith and they're trying to get on the, back on the right track, but the family is gone forever. When we sin against the Lord, folks, we create a situation where even though God says, I forgive you, God, and let me say this, God, righteously so, He doesn't make any mistakes. God is forced to execute a sentence against us in some way. Remember, He said, you've given your enemies an occasion to blaspheme. We're talking about God now. When they see this, you know what? You know what they're going to say? They're going to say exactly the same thing people are saying today. Well, no, I'm not going to church. There are just too many stinking hypocrites in church. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. They, they claim to be so holy and so good, and they do the th same things we do. And, and consequently, as a result of our behavior, we, we create a stumbling block keeping people from coming to Christ. And that's what makes it so very important. This was not going to be just a criticism of David. Um, let's face it, David's behavior really probably wasn't any different than that of the general run-of-the-mill citizen back in a time like that. I'm talking about in the other nations and what have you that worship their heathen gods. This is no big deal at all. But for David, the king, David, a man after God's own heart, David, God served for him to do that. The criticism is directed toward the Lord. Oh, you keep talking about this one God instead of having a plurality of gods like we do. You have this one God you call Jehovah. What makes Him so special? See there, just look at what 
King David did. And you see, that's the thing that makes sin so terrible. It's not, listen, it's not just what it does to you. That's awful. And it's not just what it does to others. That's terrible. But the worst thing about sin is what it does toward the Lord. It grieves the heart of God. And that word grieve is a love word. If God didn't love you, it wouldn't grieve his heart. It'd just be, you know, oh, well, you, you know, you're going to reap what you sow, do what you want, and have at it. I, I don't care. But because God loves us, it grieves his heart. And it's like many of you that have been around here long, you've heard me talk about when I was a boy and the horrible thing I did to my mother. I, I just made up my mind one day I was getting pretty big and I thought, you know, I wasn't going to take no more spankings from mom. And so she tried to spank me and I just kind of held her back. And then, and then I, I got to cussing and ranting and raving and saying things like, I hate you, I wish you was dead, on and on. And, and I'll never forget it. It's just like in my mind today. My mama went back there in that back bedroom and threw herself down on the bed and just cried her eyes out. And after a while, I just couldn't take it any longer. Uh, let me tell you, that hurt me more than being beaten with a two-before. And I went in there and laid down by my mother and put my arms around her and told her, Mama, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean that. The next time you're tempted to sin, I want you to stop and think about how it affects God. Your sin hurts the heart of God. It grieves Him. It hurts others. And it'll hurt you also. Don't head down that path to sin. You cannot avoid temptation. It's there in your face. Satan's going to see to that. Temptation of all different kinds. But whenever we see it, we can turn from it, run from it, get away from it and get as close to God as you possibly can. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God. Isn't that what the Bible says? You, you see, that's our safe place. Get nigh to God. That, that's the only safe place we've got. So I, I, I hope tonight that, uh, that maybe these few words will keep someone from going down that perilous path to sin and keep you from getting hurt and hurting others. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that you'll help each and every one of us to realize that uh, we're walking on the ragged edge, as it were. That every moment of every day and every step that we take, we're always, like the songwriter said, prone to wonder how I feel it. Lord, I... I I can't even imagine why any of us would want to stray away from you and get involved in sin, but, but Lord, to help us to realize that we're a lot weaker than what we think we are, that sin is more deadly than what we believe it is. And I pray tonight that you'll help each one of us as we leave this place 
that we'll leave here on guard, that we'll be vigilant, realizing that we have an adversary, the devil, that walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Help us, Heavenly Father, to stay on that straight and narrow road and walk in the paths of righteousness that we might live a life as pleasing in your sight rather, rather than doing as David did when he displeased you. Help us to please you in all things. We, we thank you, Lord, for the good things that's happened this week. And we just pray now that... Uh, that there will be other good things happen even here tonight in this service. For we ask it in Jesus' name. While we stand and as we sing. 428, 428.